Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Look over there. So you think that you can tell us how to live our lives. Never questioning the thoughts from which your mind could derive. You think that suffering is part of some great plan that's been devised. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what will it take for you to start Hello, and welcome to the Atheist Experience. Today is March 18th, 2018. I'm your host, Tracy Harris, and with me today is mythicist, author, and speaker, David Fitzgerald. Hey, everybody. Hey. Big audience reaction. I love you all. The Atheist Experience is a production of the Atheist Community of Austin, a Texas nonprofit educational organization dedicated to promoting, uh, promoting separation of church and state and positive atheist culture. I do want to remind people that after the show, we do go to Star of India. Uh, about 6.30, that would happen. And I also want to have a special announcement here that at goaxp.org and also at the blog open show thread, I have a, a link that you can use. We are sending 10 hosts and crew of the Atheist Experience to talk and talk, Atheist Experience and Talk Heathen. Um, they are live call-in shows. Uh, we're going to the American Atheist Convention in Oklahoma City, which Ooh. is coming up in a couple weeks. We are going to be broadcasting live from the main stage on Friday, March 30th, from 12 to 2 p.m. Central. To help make this possible, we were asking for help to cover the expenses for these hardworking volunteers, and those links will take you to uh, donation pages. And I want to note that since uh, last time I was on, I also announced it, and I'm sure there's been other announcements. We are four-fifths of the way to the goal. So I just want to say thank you to everybody who uh, has contributed and everybody who's helped out in other ways. And if you weren't able to contribute but were able to share the link, uh, we really appreciate your assistance on this. So thanks very much for helping us make this happen. So, you have a few things going on. First you. of all, welcome to the show. We're very Thank pleased you to have for you. Having, I'm so delighted to be here. Yeah. This is like a legend. And, yeah. yeah, and we've met before at some conferences. and, and Passing always, here and there. Always a good yeah. time. Yep, yep. Uh, and you have, um, you did a talk earlier today. Did. Uh, I was at uh, Atheist Community of Austin, and I did a talk on Jesus Mything in Action, mm-hmm. which we'll probably repeat major portions of right now, <laughs> in the next hour or so. Uh, and tomorrow night, I'll be speaking at CFI Austin for their Food for Thought doing uh, the Sex and Violence in the Bible talk, or as it's called, Sexy Violence, Violent Sex, the Weird-Ass Morality of the Bible. (laughs) And I love that talk. I hope you guys can catch it. And while we're doing upcoming things, you have a book that's coming out. I actually have several books that have come out. Um, well, one coming out, I guess. One, 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 you can talk about the ones that have come out. Gotcha. But, okay. Um, well, probably your audience best knows me as the author of the book Nailed, uh, which came out in 2010, uh, arguing that Jesus never existed. That's the book, yeah. <laughs> and last year, or yeah, it is last year, mm-hmm. uh, came up with a three-part sequel to Nailed called Jesus Mything in Action. 
Um, Nailed takes on the top ten ways that the Christian official story just does not pass mustard. It's just beautiful lies about Jesus. Jesus mything in action takes on the atheist myths about Jesus, such as, oh yeah, I know there wasn't a son of God named Jesus, but clearly there was a guy named Jesus, and we've got good evidence for that guy, and it's silly to think that there wasn't such a guy. That is 900 pages of rebuttal in Jesus mything in action. Okay, and that's three volumes, right? Three volumes. Didn't mean to start out as three (laughs) books, but uh, when I was finished with it and getting ready to set up the audio book with David Smalley, I called him and said, you know, I'm a little nervous about this one because it's kind of a big book. It's about 500 pages long, and it's over a quarter of a million words. And he's going, okay, 500 pages. Wait, how many words? And they said, a quarter of a million words, more or less. And he says, okay, is that six by nine-inch pages, or is that eight and a half by 11-inch pages like it's on your computer right, right. screen? And I went, oh, no, because books are six by nine. Your computer screen is eight and a half by 11. So it was more like over 900 pages long. Right. And so that's why we made it three very reader-friendly, handly little books instead of one big-ass book. Okay, and um, those links are available at the blog currently. Beautiful. We've posted those on the Open Show thread as well, so if anyone's interested and would like to you know, see reviews or maybe you know, order if you're interested yeah. in that kind of a thing. The, uh, the talk today was very interesting, and I took some notes during oh, yeah. the... I, I wasn't texting friends. <laughs> I was actually taking notes. Um, and so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some things that caught my attention, and if you want to interject some things that you feel are relevant, sure. feel free. So you mentioned that the, um, the earliest, I don't know if you were saying that the earliest complete gospel is a heretical right. gospel? It turns out, well, it's tough to say complete That's gospel. That's because I was a little hesitant For the there. first 150 years to 250 years of Christianity, we don't have any such thing as a complete anything in Christianity. We have tiny fragments of New Testament texts, and the oldest one of these, which is about this big, fits very handily on a, a credit card, um, was from the Gospel of John. The standard line was it, and it nailed, I believe this to be true and printed out, that it is the oldest surviving New Testament text. It dates from 125 to 175, somewhere in that 50-year range. Well, as it turns out, and of course, apologists, when they talk about this text, say, oh no, we have texts going back to 125 or earlier. It's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. This is 125 at the very least possible end and 175. Well, it turns out even that range is ridiculous. The apologists who actually came up with it said, oh no, we never said it was that old. It, it goes back to the late second century or the early third century. So our oldest text of the New Testament the oldest gospel, if you will, a piece of it, is not from one of our gospels. It's from a heretical gospel that we don't even Consider recognize. Consider exactly. Right, right. Exactly. And speaking of orthodoxy, um, you did bring up, so we have like the Eastern Orthodox texts uh, yeah. and the Catholic texts and the Protestant texts. And, and in fact, you could, you could argue that there is no such thing as the one canonical Bible because there's still all these different canonical versions. And, and Well, each of these three uh, factions all would say that theirs is an orthodox. And it's more than three. It's more than three. There's, okay. there's six or seven that we just know about and not counting all the heretical ones that, you know, didn't make the cut later right, through history. Right. But our, our oldest complete New Testaments, um, we have two of them, mm-hmm. the Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex Vaticanus. Both of those date to the fourth century, early fourth century. Now, the fun thing about those two is they don't agree with each other. Sinaiticus has books that Vaticanus doesn't have. Vaticanus has books Sinaiticus doesn't have. But the really fun thing is 
we have books they don't have. They have books we don't have. So, and we're already talking 400 years after the Christian era has begun. Uh, and, and, the, and the canon has not been solidified. And you could argue it never has been solidified. But, um, but even, even at, the, at, at, a, at a, the most charitable uh, interpretation, fourth century, uh, before you can even start talking about complete uh, New Testament. Okay. Complete books earlier, but the full-on New Testament, no. Okay. And then one of the other things that I wanted to hit on, and this was just a personally interesting thing, um, I happened to be flipping channels the other day, and we had had a caller that has called in a few times who's talked about, you know, his how he doesn't understand how Christianity could have caught fire so fast and, you know, progressed oh. so much. Oh. And oh. as oh, I was honey. flipping oh, channels, <laughs> yeah. I came across a special that was about the Pope and the history of the Catholic Church. And I already knew that Constantine had put a lot of energy into making For it sure. the state religion, into For encouraging sure. people to do this. One, two of the things, though, that they mentioned on this program that yeah. I was unaware of was that Constantine actually installed bishops in the the regions yeah. in order to have them set up as state officials. Absolutely. And so they were dispersed as church and state officials. He had no problem with integrating church exactly. and state. Exactly. And in Rome, when they started to shift the power to Constantinople, um, the Roman church that was installed there began to take over much of the infrastructure function Absolutely. because Absolutely. The, where Rome goes, the rest of the world right. follows. And so, and same with Christianity. And so the city of Rome ended up being mostly run by the church because people had nowhere else to go for any kind of like civil disputes or civil questions or problems. And additionally, they gave people tax breaks. Oh, for sure. For, and, 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 for and there's already the like church. nine things you've said that I want to expand on already. <laughs> Feel uh, free. Even even as he was the first Christian emperor, and he never was officially first Christian emperor, because he was the, a pagan emperor all his whole life, even unto his death. He was deified after his death. He was the first pagan slash Christian emperor because he was very interested in making Christianity the new thing and taking, while, while he paid lip service to Christianity, he also paid lip service to paganism. Okay. And as he made that sea change from making paganism the official religion, to Christianity, the official religion, a religion he loved because it was everything a totalitarian dream had. He's like, oh, you obey your bishops. That's great. Yes, keep doing that. Here's bishops. This is what you need to tell them. This is what we need to sort out. Sort out this, this, uh, uh, these doctrinal disputes. Let's just, yeah. just, just let's get on the same page. We're all going to believe the same thing. And, uh, oh, and we'll close down this pagan temple and this pagan temple. And since we're closing them down, they don't need all that gold and jewels and money and tithe. We'll just take that. And so it was a huge financial windfall to make this switch to Christianity. And even so, he was pagan his whole life. It wasn't until after him that the empire, the empire became pagan. And that wasn't Christian? after... I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. Christian, yeah. yeah. And that wasn't after, until after the third century when the entire Roman Empire went straight to hell in a handbasket for the greater part of the century. Civil war, the empire okay. splitting up. I mean, every disaster, every institution in Rome was just falling apart. And all of a sudden, this doomsday cult that's been here all along, it's not been on anybody's radar. It didn't just, you know, snowball down Golgotha and spread like wildfire. No, it was invisible, socially invisible for hundreds of years. Our earliest, some of our earliest historical um, corroboration for the existence of Christianity is people talking to the emperor saying, 
you know, and this is this is like the, the the attorney general of the Roman Empire saying, yeah, there's these things called Christians. I, you probably <laughs> never heard. I don't know what they are, but and you know, what do we do with these guys? And um, and they were socially invisible. Like Jehovah's Witnesses are so much more on the mainstream <laughs> than these guys were. For hundreds of years, they didn't even reach the level of minor Roman cults until everything started going to hell in a handbasket. All of a sudden, this doomsday cult started making a lot more sense and taking over. Well, that actually, I had one down here, but I'm going to move it up because it became more relevant. But you had mentioned that there were actually messiahs who managed to get on the historic radar. And this is the thing. It's we've got, it's not like Jesus could have been a stealth messiah that nobody just happened to mention. I mean, there's nothing implausible about that. But the fact is, we have at least half a dozen, no, sorry, 12 to 15 of these loser messiahs, I call these wannabe messiahs. Who they're not doing anything half as interesting as Jesus does on a bad day. According to the scriptures. Uh, according to the yeah. scriptures. And yet every single one of them gets a mention. Every single one of them does what Jesus can't, and that's get a mention in the historical record. Yeah. Yeah. And let's see, you had mentioned Davies. Uh, what does it mean to say Jesus existed when there's no cohesive historical yeah. Jesus model? And that's another thing, just getting into the debate among atheists and just among atheism alone, the, the division is so split between guys who say, oh, no, we have good evidence that there was at least a guy named Jesus. And those say, well, yeah, no, we don't. And it points the other direction. But it doesn't have to be a war between the two. And Philip Davies at Sheffield University is a perfect example. He's a historicist. He thinks, oh, yeah, sure, there was a Jesus. But what does it even mean to say, oh, yes, Jesus existed, when you ask 50 secular scholars who Jesus was, you're going to get 50 different Jesuses. And all the methodology and the criteria they use to authenticate, well, this stuff is the real Jesus, that stuff's the made-up bullshit. This is the real. All those tools of criteria that we've used, we've had three major quests for the historical Jesus, and all of them ended the same way, with them throwing up their hands and saying, oh, these tools don't work. Oh, and we just are getting out of the third version of that. And this has been going on since 1900 with Albert Schweitzer. Um, it's unparalleled. I cannot think of any historical field where something we've been studying as long as we have, we know not only less and less, but what we do know is so muddled and contradictory and confusing. It's, it, it's, it's baffling to me. It's, it, uh, it drives me crazy when I hear atheists saying, well, all historians agree that there was a Jesus. Well, well let's break that down a little bit. First of all, no, they don't. And first of all, even the ones who agree that there was a Jesus disagree on who that Jesus was, what he did, what he did. And we're not talking about the Jesus of faith versus the Jesus, the real Jesus. That's a whole different family tree altogether. Just, it's not just the big ticket items. It's not just the miracles. It's not just his impact. Even the most mundane and average everyday facts, biographical facts about Jesus have come into question. Okay. And... You made a comment, and I was hoping you could expand on it. You said something about not making sense of Jesus' death. Yeah, here's something that is a critique you can level at any secular reconstruction of Jesus. Um, all the secular biblical scholars out there, they all appeal to solid historical analogies for their Jesus. None of them are particularly far-fetched, though there are some very far-fetched ones out there. Um, they all concentrate on the constellation of different biographical elements, and they tend to ignore the ones that don't support their theory. <clears throat> but there's 
two things that all of them suffer from, and even Bart Ehrman suffers from this, and he's the one making this point, that they don't make sense of why the Romans would give a rat's ass and why they would kill Jesus. Because the motivations that they give, it's like, well, if he was a you know, messianic king, if he was a uh, rabbi, if he was a Galilean shaman, Romans didn't care about any of that, and the Jews would have just stoned him to death, as Mosaic law demands. And to be fair, even our source material, the four Gospels, they disagree on why the Romans killed Jesus. In fact, the Synoptic Gospels and John's Gospels are so radically different. I will have it when people say, oh, but the, the Gospels are so detailed, they must be true. It's like, well, let's compare those details and see what Jesus was doing for the last month of his life in John versus what he was doing in the last month of his life in the Synoptic Gospels. They're worlds apart, miles apart. One quick example, John, Jesus gets executed because he raises Lazarus from the dead, and it causes such as outrage that the, the, the evil high priests say, oh, we've got to kill Jesus. Lazarus doesn't exist in any of the other Gospels at all, except as a, a character in a parable Luke tells. Okay. Completely different So he was the, the, the key factor in one of the Gospels. In one, and, and he doesn't exist not, in the other He gets no mention one. in None the whatsoever. Okay. And that's by far from the only contradiction. I was wondering also if you could throw out some of the anachronisms. You mentioned them, and I would love to hear yeah. some examples. Well, it's funny. Um, Matthew does things like field reporting from inside people's heads. So, like, he knows what Mary dreamed. He knows what was going on in the secret meetings of their enemies. Uh, I think John tells us, and that's the moment when Satan entered the heart of Judas. It's like, how do you guys know? Who told you this? Who could tell you this? Who was there at the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus goes out on his own and does a prayer? Uh, there's all these points that make perfect sense as allegory, make perfect sense as fiction, make no sense at all uh, historical, historically. Okay. All right. So that was everything I had. Did you have anything you wanted to add? No, that's pretty much it. Yeah. No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, the funny thing is, when I, st I didn't start out as a, a mythicist. I started out as just a perfectly happy atheist historicist. <laughs> You know, perfectly content. Oh, sure, Jesus. You know, there was a Jesus. Sure, why not? How could there not be? Never even crossed my mind there was no Jesus, until I started getting curious about. Huh. You know, when you read the Gospels, Jesus is very different in all the Gospels, and I wonder which one is showing the real Jesus, and which one is just legendary creation that just creation that just you know, legendaries build around them uh, people. So when you strike. To, start trying to parse out the real Jesus, the real historical Jesus, from the Jesus of faith, all these red flags start popping up at once. And the first one for me was, this is all we've got? This is all the historical evidence? And this is the quality of the historical evidence we have? And long story short, I say in Nailed, once you start pulling on that thread, next thing you know, you've got no sweater at all. Okay. And I remember being two years into the search and thinking, I don't think this guy existed at all. <laughs> and then finding out, yeah, you're not the only person who thinks that. And people have been saying this for a long time. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, there was a lot more in the talk, but we don't have time to re-give the talk today. Don't we? I think don't we, we? we've already given away all the spoilers. <laughs> well, I will say that Jesus Mything in Action is addressed to all the atheists out there who have tried to tell me that there's good evidence for Jesus and okay. it's silly not to think there was. Okay. And I will say one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just shout one more thing. Don't get me started. Okay. When Nailed came out, I was shocked at the number of atheists who bagged on it as being, oh, this is pseudoscience, this is pseudo-history. When Jesus Mythic in Action came out last year, the reaction has been so much more positive 
in just seven years. I'm amazed. I hardly hear anyone saying this is pseudoscience or pseudohistory because they, now they can see the footnotes that we've got. Uh, I, they're more apt to say, oh, yeah, I never thought Jesus was real. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, where were you seven years ago? But, yeah, and, but it's a great, and it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to see, and it's wonderful to see Christian apologetics increasingly address thing, Jesus was real, he was not made up, you know, just so like a money, right out of the Monty Python Being a little scene. more on the defensive. Much more so. Okay. Well, it was an interesting talk, and I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. All right. And so we do have callers, and we have uh, Andrew from Twinsburg, Ohio. And Andrew, you have called on the very best day. Your topic is listed as would like to prove the historicity of Jesus. You did call in on the right and day. Oh, you I, couldn't yeah, have I called a more was perfect a day. <laughs> it's an atheist miracle. <laughs> so you're on yeah, with well, uh, Tracy and David and... Feel free. Go ahead. Uh, well, I'm not an expert in textual criticism, but uh, I don't know. Where do you want to start off with? The Gospels or uh, outside of the Bible for Jesus' uh, existence? Well, well let me ask call. you this. Oh, go for it, David. I mentioned this in the, t- the talk today, is the first thing we should ask ourselves anytime someone wants to tell you, oh, I know what Jesus said or did or how he wants you to vote, you need to say, okay, well, what's our source for that? And then you have to say, how reliable is that source? So I guess that's what I would put to you is, what's your sources for anything you want to make that claim about Jesus? And how reliable are those sources? Well, for example, if you look at the emperor at the time of Jesus, he has only 10 historical sources in the first, uh, after the 150 years of his life. But when we look at Jesus, we have 42. Hold on. Stop. Pump the brakes. When you say we have 42, first of all, that number is widely inflated. How many contemporary witnesses do we have to Jesus? How many um, non-Christian witnesses do we have to Jesus? That's a better question. Because it turns out, of all the lines of evidence that you can use to prop up any historical claim, not even about Jesus, but about anybody, John the Baptist, Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, you've got to ask yourself, how many lines of evidence do we have to support this? And when you look at just the ways that you can support a claim, for most of those lines of evidence, Jesus has exactly zero lines of evidence. And the one that he does have, which is, it's not the best kind of written evidence. It's not historians citing their sources and giving, um, you know, critiquing views and, and weighing the evidence. It's the worst kind. It's anonymous Christian writers falsely passing themselves off as somebody who existed years before them and from some other place who are writing specifically without sources, claiming to be eyewitnesses, claiming to be talking to eyewitnesses who are out there writing all this to convert you to Christianity. It's hard that are in a worse shape for Jesus. And that's true whether Jesus was real or not. The fact is, even if there was a Jesus, just weighing the state of the evidence we have for him it almost doesn't even matter because everything that we think we know about Jesus comes from sources that have nothing to do with anybody who actually lived in the first century. Okay, if you want to start uh, with Pontius Pilate, we found his grave. Pontius Pilate and, existed. Uh, correct. He's correct. Now, now I'll go In to, fact, uh, it's what we know about Pontius Pilate that helps us tell that the stories they're telling about him in the Gospels don't match historical reality. 
because the Pontius Pilate they paint a picture of is nobody who actually existed. Because we have lots of good sources on Pontius Pilate, and they all disagree with what the Gospels are saying about him. Well, we'll start with the Gospel of John. You don't believe uh, John the Apostle wrote that? No, I don't be- think there was a John the Apostle. And actually, the, the, the real author of that isn't given as John the Apostle. It's given as the beloved disciple, the disciple who Jesus loved. And in fact, there's scholars out there who think it's actually the character of Lazarus who's supposed to be the beloved disciple because that's the only other person in there that it specifically mentions Jesus loving. But it's funny you say let's start with John because John is actually the last gospel to be written. And he's writing sometime in the early second century. If you wanted to start with a gospel, we should start with the gospel of Mark because that was the first gospel that was written. And when it was written, it was written sometime right after the war with Rome around in the 70s of the first century. All our biographical information ultimately comes from the four gospels and all our four gospels ultimately come from that gospel of Mark. Well, I disagree with that because Mark, uh, Luke, and Matthew are considered the synoptic gospels. That is exactly. You know what that means? Wait, let's break that down for our audience. What that means that they're they're called the synoptic gospels? Because I think yes, I could I could explain that. Please do. Most of the parables, most of the miracles, most of uh, Jesus's life in uh, Luke, Matthew, and uh, what are we talking about? Mark, Mark, Matthew, and Mark. The that uh, those are like you got thirties of the same stories in those. Because Mark Mark was written for the Romans, Luke was written for the Greeks, and Matthew was written for the Jews. The reason Matthew was written for the Jews is because it's got most of the Old Testament prophecies in there. And he also corrects most of Mark's mistakes, whereas Luke tends to repeat them. But I wanted to talk about something in John that's very specific that I know that this is an eyewitness testimony. Well, that, that's funny you say that because even the Gospel of John says that we know this is true even though we're not eyewitnesses. But go ahead, go ahead. I think I know where you're going with this. But do you know what a polarial effusion is? Let's, let's come back to your synoptic problem first. But no, go, to, go ahead and tell me, tell me, tell us all what polarial infusion is. Well, in John 19.34, it says, when Jesus was dead, the guy put a spear into his uh, lung and a bunch of blood and water came out. Yeah. Very specific, very specific. And very hard but in reality. How would you know if blood and water came out at the same time? Just putting it out there. Because we can now confirm this with medical evidence. No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that medically it can't be done. What I'm saying is if you were an ancient person poking a hole into somebody and they say blood and water came out, how would an ancient person know that that was happening? Metaphorically and allegorically, it makes a lot of sense for a writer, a later writer like John to be saying that that's what happened because there's metaphorical weight to water and medical weight to blood that's that he's drawing upon but as a, and anyway we're talking about a story you're talking about i'm not denying that there that that could happen or possibly happen but that's that the possibility of that happening isn't what making it true or not and it's certainly not making it an eyewitness account and in fact the fact that it has to go out of its way from later editors to end the story and say oh and this was written by an eyewitness and we know it's true 
because it says right here. It's, the napkin religion is true because it says right here on the napkin. That's what we get at the end of John. And again, this is being written by somebody in the mid to early second century. It could not have been written by anybody who was alive when Jesus was alive. I disagree because the reason why we Protestants don't include the apocryphal books, which also give uh, historical evidence for Jesus, is because those were written after 100 AD. Well, that's not why, but... And anyway, I'm not, I'm, I'm failing, you're saying, you're pointing, it seems the point you're making is that, well, because this thing medically is real, that means this story actually happened. And I'm not sure I follow that at all. But you're su suggesting that if I made up a story, that water came out. Of no, it, not you, but I'm suggesting, yes, it was a story. And we have many lines of evidence that point to this being a story. In fact, we can trace out the evolution of this story. And I said, let's start with Mark because Mark is the oldest gospel, and we can trace out where Matthew spins off from Mark, where Luke spins off from Mark, where John spins off from them. And when they're not in lockstep with each other, quoting word for word in ways that are very unlikely if they were even uh, trying to tell the same story, because again, it's word for word verbatim uh, correspondence, when they're not in lockstep with each other, they're going off in completely incompatible ways. I was just telling Tracy about that, how if you read the details in John's gospel about the last three weeks of Jesus' life, and then compare it to any of the synoptic gospels, they don't match up at all, not even a little bit. They're completely detailed, uh, well, completely filled in, and they're completely incompatible. And I'm talking about not just after the resurrection, which is they are, but I'm talking about for the final month of Jesus' life, they've got their Jesus is doing completely different things in completely different ways for completely different motives. Well, Mark was written first for the Romans, so. Well, Mark That's was written first told. full stop. He wrote it for Gentile Christians. He, he may have written it in Rome. He certainly didn't write it in Judea or the Galilee because he makes all of these mistakes about everyday life in Judea and basic Judaism that nobody would have made if they were actually the person he was supposed to be in the Bible. Matthew goes and takes his Bible. None of these guys were setting out to write a gospel. They were all setting out to write the gospel. Uh, Matthew was just trying to take the only gospel he knew, Mark's, and improve on it, add to it, and correct its mistakes. And where M Mark keeps alluding to Old Testament passages, Matthew makes that explicit. Mark expects his more educated readers to understand what he's doing and that he's telling a story about Jesus, but he's really telling uh, parables taken from Old Testament scriptures. And things that don't make sense historically, they don't make sense from a logical standpoint, they make perfect, stand, uh, perfect sense from an allegorical standpoint. And Mark actually goes out of his ways to tell us that's what he's doing. Whereas Matthew, as you say, written for the Jews, and I totally agree, he was written for Jewish Christians in a Jewish Christian community. Um, Luke, on the other hand, he was writing for everybody. He wanted to be a big tent writer. He wanted Christianity to include women and children and Gentiles, and Pharisees, and, the, and the John the Baptist cult. He wanted to make these all part of the same team. So the, when he's writing his uh, gospel, and interesting, when he writes his gospel, he says, you know, there's so many people writing gospels now, it seemed to me a good idea to go back to our sources and 
check in this story that was handed down to us, which is a lie because all he does is take the best parts of Matthew and Mark and then spin off from there. He doesn't tell us that's what he's doing. It's very clear from the textual analysis that's exactly what he's doing. And he's also taking things from Josephus. And the reason we know he's taking things from Flavius Josephus is because when we match those up, the information we get in Josephus is more complete, it's in context, and it makes sense, whereas he's clearly just using bits of it for window dressing and not always getting his facts right, which is one of the ways that we know that he's the one stealing from Josephus and not the other way around. And John, of course, comes decades later, if not more than that, um, and again, he's writing at a time when his Jesus is so much different from Mark's Jesus that you can barely think that they were the same character. In Mark's Jesus, he is the most fallible, most human, uh, the most no-frills Jesus. John's Jesus should have been stoned to death for blasphemy two minutes out of the gate. There's no reason that they shouldn't have killed him because he's constantly saying that he's God. He might as well be wearing it on a t-shirt. It's, it's like there was a shortage of rocks around that time. Otherwise, they would, have, uh, they would have taken him right out as Mosaic law required. Well, you're suggesting that Mark is not a eyewitness testimony. No, I'm not suggesting it. I'm saying it outright. There is no way he was an eyewitness. He doesn't claim to be well, an eyewitness. Well, I think because in Galatians 2.9, James, Peter, and John are the steam pillars of the Christian church. And let's look so, at those pillars. What, is, Mark, what does Mark, Paul say Mark, about those guys that are the pillars of the church? In Galatians, can I just say Mark gets his Mark get Mark the evangelist who wrote Mark gets his information from Peter. So you know, Peter if that was true, if that was true, then why do the other Gospels have more information about Peter than Mark's does? Because Mark is a basic summary of Jesus's life. How do you know that? What do you, why, why would you even say that? What makes you think it's a basic summary of Jesus's life? First of all, the, the, there we have four different Gospels. And they're written for different people to get people to Christ. We don't have just one book. Because if we did write one book, you would just criticize that anyways. Well, I probably we would. It, it probably would have something to criticize about it. But the fact is, we didn't have four Gospels for the longest time. In fact, we had, we had dozens of Gospels, really. Um, but the fact is, it wasn't until the middle of the second century that anyone thought, you know what? We should put all these letters together and all these Gospels together and sort out the ones we like from the ones we don't like and make a New Testament out of it. And you know where they got that we idea? Did. They got that idea from heretics, Marcion. Once they we didn't put, have the printing press. We didn't have the printing press till 1500. Didn't say we had the printing hard press. To write down. Didn't say we had the printing press. Uh, but they took they never. got the idea to collect these letters and these books and put them into a collection of scripture. They got that idea from Marcion, and we're talking about the second century now. Up till then, up to the time of Paul, up before Paul, it never occurred to anybody to, to put these writings together. So when you say these guys were writing their Gospels for different audiences, yeah, that's true. But that's true of dozens of Gospels. Um, and all of these, those, though they were aimed at a specific target, like Matthew, he was a Jewish writer aiming for a Jewish community. Luke was a Gentile writer aiming for Gentiles. It wasn't like they were sorting out themselves to, to, to target and we'd have all four and that would cover our target audience. No, every single one of them was writing the one true gospel. Luke even is right out of the gate says, so many people are writing gospels, I'm going to give you the true story. And then he besmirches his own sources, Matthew, Mark, and everybody else who's writing. And again, 
These are just the Gospels that made the cut. They aren't including all the Gospels we know about, and that's, not, that's only including all the Gospels that have survived to the day. So there's a world of Christian writings out there, early Christian writings, that never made it. Well, we could start with uh, a lot of people don't know the history of the early Christian church. You were well, preaching three, to the choir. 300 years, for the first 300 years of Christianity, it was considered a cult. Absolutely. And it was a cult. And, and these, men, these men sacrificed their lives. Hang on. Hold on. How do we know that? Who tells us that? Well, we know James did because uh, Josephus recorded that James died. Uh, well, Jesus he records that a guy named James died. But if you've read my book, Nailed, you'll know that that James is not the James that we think of as the leader of the Jerusalem church. That's a completely different we James also altogether. We an artifact. That's I, James I the Just. It's not our Jesus. In fact, you only have to read the passage in Josephus to see that that's the case. That the, the James in that passage and the Jesus in that passage is uh, James the Just and Jesus, son of Damnius, the brother of the high priest. It's not that that should well, we, that should be a no brainer by this point because you just have to read it to know that. We have twenty four thousand copies of the New Testament. You know, we could have twenty four million copies, and it wouldn't make any difference because those twenty four thousand copies you're talking about are from the twelfth century, eighth century, tenth century. For when you want to talk about what really matters, it's not the amount of monks who are copying uh, scripture. How many root? manuscripts do we have? How many textual traditions do we have? When you start going back to that, what do we have from the third century? What do we have from the second century? What do we have from the first century? We have nothing at all from the first century. We have no, nothing but scraps for the majority of the second century. We don't have complete books of the New Testament until the very end of the second century. We don't have complete New Testaments until the fourth century. So there's a huge blackout period for the first 150 to 250 years of Christianity where we don't know if what we have matches the originals. We have no way of knowing if it matches the originals. And here's the thing. Let's say somebody put the original in a vault and it magically has been undisturbed until just now. If we found that manuscript and had it in our hands right now, we wouldn't know it was the original. We'd say, well, here's a weird heretical gospel. Well, yeah, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which proved the book of Isaiah was accurate. Sorry. Yeah, the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, do talk about Isaiah. Yep. And That's they also... At least one book. Well, and when Go you ahead. say accurate, Isaiah was written by two different people over two different times. And we can, know, we can see that in the Dead Sea Scrolls, too. And I don't know what it has to do with the New Testament, but there you go. But we can trace all the New Testament books back to Jesus' inner circle. No, we can't. No, we can't. Yes, we can. If you look at Matthew, he was a tax collector. He talked about the temple tax in Matthew 17. He talked about the unforgiven servant in Matthew 18. And in Matthew 20, he talked about the parable of the workers in the vine. And where is any of the gospel so that says this was written by Matthew? Some strange God. Where does it say anywhere in the gospel that this was written by Matthew? And I should but say, we should say Matthew was, Levi because, whether, whether hang written. on, hang on a second. We should say Matthew Levi because in one, in one gospel, he's Matthew, the tax collector, and the other one, he's Levi. And it's been put together as Matthew Levi. But in the, the separate gospels, they're two separate characters. And in fact, there's no, when you take out all the apostles, including the ones who are evangelists, 
There is no single Christian document, full stop, that agrees on who the apostles were. Not a single one. They're all well, put together. They're at- all put together by slapping together the four gospels we like and then saying, well, this guy must have had two or three names, and then and doing it from there. You mentioned, you mentioned the leaders of the Jerusalem church, and I wanted to come back to that, because, yeah, we do have the leaders of the Jerusalem church, and you didn't answer my question. What does Paul say about those guys? Everyone says, oh, in Galatians, he says that you know, James is the brother of the Lord. You know, he's Jesus' brother. Well, no, he's not Jesus' brother. He's the brother of the Lord. And what does Paul say about him? He says all those guys are false Christians. He doesn't agree with them for a minute. The whole book of, of Galatians, the letter of Galatians, is talking about his run-in with these guys who he calls false Christians. How do you talk about Jesus' friends and family like this? It seems like all the arguments you're making are, well, the gospel says this, and therefore we know that. But you're not saying, well, who wrote these gospels? How do we know that Matthew wrote this gospel called Matthew? Because the gospel of Matthew doesn't say that I, Matthew, wrote this. In fact, it says things like, oh, and this story was told around, and the Jews believe it to this day. He, all, all the gospels have giveaways there, that there's anachronisms that they're writing long after the time they admit. That, that, that the story is set in. It's like you're trying to say, well, Gandalf said that Frodo had the one ring, so we know that was true. <laughs> well, we know the gospel of Matthew is correct because the massacre of the innocents when Herod did that, when we look out sor- sources outside of the Bible, it proves that he killed his own kids and one of his wives. Well, he definitely so killed he his own kids and one of his wives, but we don't have any... And we have no corroboration for the massacre of the, the innocents. And that's a very weird thing to leave out because the same guys who told us that he killed his wife and his sons, they loved picking dirt on, on Herod the Great. They would have no way they would have missed something like, oh, and he just happened to massacre all the boys born uh, in Bethlehem uh, for over two years. And honestly, if he did that, well, then how did John the Baptist survive? Because he was born around then too. But anyway, the point is, you say these things have historical corroboration, you can't point to the same book and say they have historical corroboration. And when you look at what uh, you when you look at the corroboration, what they're corroborating is not what you say they are. Tactius, men- Tactius mentions Jesus' crucifixion. He mentions that Christians so worship a guy that that was uh, was crucified. And I think you're, actually you're missing, mentioning uh, you're, I think you're thinking of Suetonius too. Um, but all these guys, and I again, I go through all these alleged re- uh, witnesses in my book, Nailed. In every single case, we're talking about second and third century figures talking about Christians and what Christians are saying. And Bart Ehrman, who's a staunch, he's with you that there was a real Jesus. Even he says, and he's talking about the Josephus uh, uh, testimonium in particular. He says, you know what, even if every word of this is true, and we know it's not because it's a forgery, it doesn't add anything to the question because this is nothing except what Christians were saying, or on, any Christian on the street was saying. We know Tacitus wasn't going through the library to look up this stuff because he's not talking about Christians. He's talking about something else and just mentioning it to explain, okay, Christians, uh, I should explain what these are because you've never heard of them. They, they worship this crucified guy, blah, blah, blah. Some of your, some of your fellow Christian apologists bring out eyewitnesses that if they read these supposed eyewitnesses, not only would they see that these are not eyewitnesses, often they're not even saying what you think they're saying, and they're saying things about Christianity that does not make early Christianity look good. And I'm thinking of <laughs> Lucian of Samosata. 
they say, oh, well, he mentions that Jesus was uh, crucified. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a fourth century, third century Jerry Seinfeld talking about how gullible the Christians are and that how his friend Proteus, um, sorry, Peregrinus, wrote Christian scriptures, and they all fell for it. It's like, keep reading what these witnesses to what you're saying say. I'm going to have to insert here that we do have other callers on the line, but um, Andrew has not gotten much uh, talk time. So what I'd like to do... I just want to say, and Andrew, if you want to talk more about this offline... Well, if you want to talk more about this offline, please Well, that's what I was going to suggest. Can I just just get a a couple of things here? Should we get a couple of things? One question. I've talked a lot over him. Sure, does, he I guess. Be- does he believe the Roman Emperor Tiberius existed? Duh. Why, why would I not believe well, that? We only- we, 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 uh, let me put it this way. We have good lines of evidence that indicate Tiberius existed. But we only have 10 historians that recognize him within the one. That's not, just, that's not all we have. Even if that was the only written evidence we have, that's not the only evidence we have. If Jesus was just a carpenter from Nazareth, why do we have 42 independent sources that recognize his identity? Short answer, we don't. Long answer, because they started a religion about it. But those 42 witnesses that you're lined up, none of them are from the first, none of them are from his life. None of them are from the first century. Almost all of them are after the fact, and almost all of them are Christian. All right, I'm grabbing the reins here. Okay. (laughs) And I'm going to say, would you Can I just ask him one more question? No, because then he'll give you an answer. What I'd like wait, 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 wait. Please let me just insert my solution here so that we can move on to another call. What I was gonna do is ask David, would you be amenable to engaging at our blog with the people who have might have questions for you about the conversations today? It would be my happy privilege to do Okay, so Andrew, you can ask David questions at the blog. I'm going to just warn people. And everyone can see it on the blog? Yeah, it's, it's going to be visible on the blog. So, Andrew, you're welcome to come. There's an open show thread at the Atheist Experience blog that will be specifically for this show. You can go and post your questions to David, and David has agreed to answer them. And I will let you know that if you have not posted to our blog before, the first comment that you post has to be moderated. So there may be a delay. So if you go to post and you don't see your post immediately appear, it's just because it needs moderation. When, when someone goes in and moderates it, then you will be able to post freely after that. Do you understand? Yes. Okay. Does he believe Alexander the Great existed? <laughs> We've got good evidence for it. <laughs> this is more of the same. We don't have any evidence of his life until 200 years after his death. That's adorable. That is adorable, Andrew. Okay, Andrew, please post it at the blog, and David, please respond to him at the blog. I promise I will. Um, and I won't even be snarky about it. <laughs> okay. I won't even be snarky. All right. And I, and I, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't want to hang up on Andrew. I felt that Andrew was actually a polite caller. He was actually okay. I just, this can't go on because it will be endless so this is my life <laughs> this is. is my life yes so then down the rabbit hole we go another one here that is we're going to go to paul in dallas texas who says no specific arguments for god but would like to have a general discussion about jesus so Yay. another caller who is called hello on the paul perfect day <laughs> hi paul hi, you're on with tracy and david right <laughs> hey paul can you can you okay yeah, yeah you sound fine Awesome. Um, well, go easy on me because my heart's been beating out of my chest for the last hour. Uh, Brother, nervous. am I become yeah. your enemy because I tell you the truth? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I love you guys. Um, 
uh, no, you know, atheists are, um, in my opinion, fun to speak to. Um, Thank you. And I appreciate you calling in because, and honestly, here's the thing, and I really believe this. If you being a Christian <laughs> makes you happier, makes you a better person, makes the world a better place, I'm all for it. Go for it. And I yeah. don't want to talk you out of that. Um, yeah. If you have <laughs> asked my opinion about Christianity, um, that's a different thing. Because okay. I, think, I think Christians, for the most part, they're Christians for good logical, rational reasons that have nothing to do with Christianity being good That is super cool, but Paul has a point to make. Sorry, Paul. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> first, it, Paul. First, time, first time on the show. Will you, I'm sorry, will you repeat that, David? That they're logical, but they have... I'm that, sorry, what? What I was saying was, the Christians I know, and I'm thinking specifically of my friend Sean McDowell, who's Josh McDowell's son, it would make oh. no sense for him to be an atheist because he has got good, strong, rational reasons for being a Christian that have absolutely nothing to do with whether Christianity is true or right or rational. Okay. Well, um, I would say with respect to that person, then he doesn't have a very good reason at all. I would um, agree. I would agree. But but tell us, you know, th that is my truth. Tell me yours. Um, well, my truth is that I was going to college um, about five years ago. And I was going through a very difficult time of my life. Um, uh, forgive me for using the phrase sin or mm. the, the terminology. I suppose, Tell us all about these sins. No, Please go no into way. detail. No, Paul, just continue with your point. <laughs> for, for the sake of my um, dignity, I'd rather not uh, go into my sins. But, um, but Jesus saved me uh, five years ago. And, um, and ever since then, it's been... Uh, a beautiful journey getting to know him. Um, I had I had just a momentary question. Oh, and I have um, so many questions for what you just said, but please do. Please do give us your question. There, you said something about uh, Paul mentioning false apostles in Galatians. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to know where that was. That's, I believe, in chapter 2 of Galatians. I mean, Galatians is a short book, so it's not hard to find. Um, I want to say it's the second chapter of Galatians, where he goes and meets the, the Jerusalem church leaders for the first time, and he says things like, um, when I met them, I didn't give in to them for a moment. Um, they brought in false believers to steal our liberty. Who, who they really were, God only knows. I don't know who these guys are. Um, and then pretty much all the interactions he has with them in Galatians is acrimonious, and he, he brags about going to James in, in face and, and confronting him. And when you read Luke's account of all these things and the early church, Luke whitewashes all of this. He is so at pains to make everybody in Christianity and even outer sources like John the Baptist cult and the Pharisees and all these different uh, marginal groups like women and children, he wants to bring them all into the fold. And so he whitewashes it all as if they were all on the same, one big happy family and all on the same page. And at every point where Luke is talking about something that Paul talks about, at every single point he's getting it wrong, deliberately so, because he's whitewashing it to make it seem like there was never any disputes, never any uh, disagreements. He has uh, Peter have that vision where the, the sheet comes down and everything uh, uh, that was unclean is now clean. We, we don't have to worry about that anymore. When, when we read the Gospels, that was already supposedly settled by Jesus decades ago. And yet he feels the need to put it into um, another apostle's mouth. 
Okay. Um, well, I was looking. I was looking through Galatians for a moment, and, and uh, please understand, I'm no historical scholar of this. I, uh, I'm just a, an immature Christian who's been working on it. Um, but it looks like Galatians, in Galatians two, Paul, um, Paul meets Peter, James, John. Um, maybe I'm not. I like I said, no. I don't have all this is. Yeah, and I want to make I want to make it very clear. I believe those were real people. Peter, James, and John were real people. They really existed. They really were leaders in the Jerusalem church. And what mythicists like me argue is that when the gospel writers decades later were making their stories, the allegorical stories about Jesus, they took the names from people in Paul's letters, from people who were known to be Christians, and made them characters in these gospels. Okay. But but uh, that, well, that said, when you just read what Paul has to say about the, uh, who these guys are, you would never guess that they were Jesus' friends and family. And in fact, when we read in the New Testament epistles, when they're telling us what an apostle is, they're not saying, oh, it's the 12 guys who follow Jesus. No, they say an apostle is somebody like me who found Jesus in Scripture and in visions and in my Bible, scholar, my Bible uh, searching of the Hebrew scriptures, I found him talking to me. And we even see this with, with people like Clement, early church leaders, um, who said, that, as Jesus said, and then they'll quote something from Ezekiel or Isaiah. And it's like, they don't see any problem with that, with putting words into Jesus' mouth, just like early Christians didn't have any problems later putting words into Paul's mouth. Well, um, with the with the idea of, I mean, you you made an interesting point that I that I'd like to touch on, and that's the idea of um, of visions and and scriptures and yeah. finding Jesus in them. Um, why why would you say? I mean, I know that it's it's tough as a person who hasn't experienced that to agree with that because there's no evidence for that, right? It's just someone's testimony. Um, but why does why if they're being honest, why does that testimony make it any less real? Well, first of all, I believe that your testimony is honest. I don't know about that about the the people who wrote the New Testament because we keep catching them in lies and untruths. Um, and even even just the archaeological evidence for the New Testament, when you see one thing that Bart Ehrman says is that when you look at early Christian writings, the most remarkable thing about them, is the extent to which they're forged and altered by rival Christian factions so that we have different gospels and different epistles saying the opposite things. And it's very hard for even devout Bible-believing Christian scholars who are equally educated to know which is the original reading. Okay, I'm trying to, uh, to make sense of my thoughts here. Okay, so... Um Ask me about my story, will you? <laughs> Let me ask you this. If you were a Muslim caller trying to tell me about the glory of the Quran and how you know, giving up pork and worshiping Allah changed your life, I would be nodding my head at the same way and saying, yep, okay. And if you were a Mormon saying, yeah, I was a really bad person and then these guys knocked on my door and Joseph Smith's word gave me a burning in my bosom and now I live according to Mormonism and life is great, I don't really have any argument against that, and I don't, as long as it makes you a better person, I don't even 
have any particular objection to it. It's just okay. when, we, when we're mistaking the truths of being a better person and, and change, making changes to your life with historical truth, when we're, when we're mistaking mythological truths for empirical truths, that's where we get in trouble. Well, when you say empirical truth, um, I think that's I think that can be objective uh, to each person. But see, for me, it's not about. I think you mean subjective, Paul. It's okay. Okay, fair enough. Um, For me, it's not about being a better person. That's not what it's about for me. It's um, it's about finally having found the truth of reality. I sought I sought the truth of reality for a long time. I uh. I was an atheist um, myself, or, or an agnostic atheist from um, a very maybe my early teens. Um, Can I ask you what led you to be to choose that path? Yeah, I thought it was cool. <laughs> I thought it was hip. No, I mean, atheist. when you were raised, did you did you was it a lack of religion, or had you rejected religion, or uh... no? Well, I um, I. My mom and I and my sister, we went to church for a few brief times. Um, but, you know, when, when my sister and I were going to church, we just played in the pews and we, you know, brought our Game Boys or laughed at each other. We didn't, you know, learn anything. Um, but what, what, what hit me was, you know, I found out one day that the Tooth Fairy wasn't real. Um, and I found out the Santa Claus was a lie. And I was like, well, okay what makes God different, right? Um, and you know what? I think that's an awesome question. I think that's an awesome question. So for a long time, and also I think at some point I had a philosophical teacher who just, um, I I was, you know, I envied uh, his knowledge, I suppose, a bit, and I just wanted to be more like him. Um, and from there I started being uh, somebody who in fact spoke against Jesus, uh, Somebody who. What does that mean? Um, what does that mean in this context? Speaking well, against Jesus. Well, it, for example, my mom has been a, a believer all her life, um, and there were points at which I was just like, "Well, where is where is God? Um, I see no evidence for God. How God isn't real." You know, I said this to my mom, and I was um, naturally that that hurt her. Uh, yeah. But but since then, I um, I've changed. I. I from 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 being an adolescent to twenty five, that's that's the time span of which I did not believe. It's funny because that's the same time span where I went from being a true blue Southern Baptist who believed it all and everyone thought was going to be a preacher to becoming an atheist. Exactly that same time. Well, I'm hoping to be a preacher, so we're kind of on. Um, <laughs> we are just missing each other. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but I mean, so I, I didn't, I didn't come to Christianity, um, easily by no means. It, it, uh, I was at my last straw in life. Um, perhaps not my last, but I was pretty far up there, uh, before God found me and he saved me. And it was all because I did one simple thing. I, um, well, he he was showing me various things well, in that time, and I I, I guess I do, I do need some specifics. What what specific thing did you do, or did he show you, or? Well, it's it's it, as I said, it's um it's very subjective for each person. Mm. But for me, it was little little signs like um, 
I mean, you would laugh at me to even hear them, but it's the truth is that when I was going through a hard time um, for any particular reason, I would find various feathers just randomly. And I thought to myself, there's something about these. It was always a very coincidental specific times in my life. Um, there was another time where I was in class just going through. See, I, I went through a lot of anxiety. Um, mm. Oh, have you and, found that being a Christian reduces that anxiety? Yes, it does actually. Um, that's what I kind of what I was referring to is that most people who are Christians have good rational reasons for being Christian that have nothing to do I, with Christianity being rational. Even that's a, that's a real have, evolutionary advantage that you gave yourself by embracing Christianity. Well, I don't I don't believe in evolution, but I understand what you're saying. Um, but even if I didn't have those, I would still be a Christian because I know it's true. So you and see, when you say you know it's true, not to get all epistemological on you, but how do you know it's true? Well, and that's the thing is that it is subjective. It, it, it is the subjective. Betters, and and I, I, what if your Muslim friend or your Mormon friend or fill in the blank, whichever voodoo space religion friend you have, they came up to you and started talking about how their life changed when they went to the fill in the blank religion. How would you win them over to Christ? Well, I don't have very many people telling me about the things that I've experienced. Well, what I'm trying to say is what you're giving us is not much to hang a hat on. And it's like, well, I'm glad the feathers, you know. Yeah, it's like if you were finding well, well, condor feathers, I'd be impressed. But feathers are well, very common. I mean, there's birds all over the place that, that shed feathers and exactly. lose feathers and, and I don't get eaten by cats. Yeah, and, not to make too much fun on you, but I mean, this is... I'm not this, making fun. Yeah, I'm just pointing yeah. out that the idea of finding I, I, feathers I, is kind of like saying every time I look down, I found a pebble. Yeah, and I kept, I kept, like, I expect waiting for the punchline, but then what really happened was blah, 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 and... and and I'm sure there is a moment like that, but it's like what I'm trying to say is that there are there are what seven billion people on the planet right now, and every one of them who is a major religion actually, full stop. Every one of them who is religious has a story like that, but they can't all be I, true. They can all be false, I, but they can't all be true. I said to you guys before I even mentioned that, that you would laugh at me. I'm not I'm laughing. Not Here's the problem, though, <laughs> that I have. It, and this is something I've talked about before. This is the issue with, with a, when somebody says about, you know, praying for a sign or asking for a sign or receiving a sign. These signs can literally be anything, like right. anything. Yeah. There is no way to confirm that, this, that the feathers were from God or they were just feathers. And Okay, but uh, Tracy, I agree with you. Um, I agree with you, and that's why I say it's subjective. But let me. But the meaning, the meaning you're putting on it is subjective. But there is nothing. There's nothing that is subjective. There's yes. nothing subjective mm. about the fact that feathers are everywhere. Yeah. Well, there is when you experience them, like I do. But with, with <laughs> no, the, like, but you haven't no, told us about your feather experience. That feathers are everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just. I mean, guys, 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 guys. Let me put out a point. Okay. okay. You're, you're you're kind of speaking over me. Um. If, if God, if God is about faith, okay, and, and I believe that that atheists oftentimes have uh, a different perspective on faith than Christians do, but are you guys still there? Yeah, oh, we're yeah, yeah. We're, we're waited with bated breath to hear what's coming up next. I'm, I'm, 
Oh, by the way, I'm so glad I'm not speaking to Matt. Matt is so... Uh, oh, I know. It's the worst, well, let's right? Let's not waste time because we've got maybe a couple minutes and I've got to move on to another call. So wrap up quick. Okay, sure. Um, so the thing is, is this. If God is a God of faith and you have to have faith to come to know him, there, there are two things that are important to note here and that I, that I say sincerely. Um, you cannot come to know God, and this is in the Bible, until he calls you. You cannot, you, you cannot know God until he calls you. Yeah, this and is proselytizing. <laughs> and I, I'm going to just say, if you don't have something okay. to support this beyond a feather, then this is just calling and preaching. You don't know this about God. You don't know this from a feather. And, and if you're going to talk about faith, let's talk about blind faith. What if a guy comes up to you and says, you know, we have to kill all the Jews. This feather proves it to me. Right. Yeah. I mean, the idea that, that you, you, know, you, yeah. you came you're to God back, for these fe- back, feathers. Going back to things that are, that are plainly, plainly rude, if I may. All right. However, so anyway, we're moving on to. Uh, uh, well, but just putting out there, I mean, talk to us again, but it's like. You're not giving us anything. No, don't. You're not even giving you us anything. You don't get to call the show and preach. Yeah. You don't get to yeah. call the show and be unchallenged. You don't get to just call and start talking about what you know about God and then give no other reason than, well, my truth is subjective and I found a feather and I found a bunch of feathers at times in my life when I was distressed. Absolutely. The fact is you have got to, when you just start making bald-faced claims about what you know about God. That could God, be made by any religion on the planet. And there yeah. are plenty of shows that have theists preachers, we don't need yep. to convert the atheist yep. experience yep. into a show where, where theists call in just to preach. And so. just saying, you don't know what rude is. That was not rude. Yeah, you really oh, no. don't. I oh, mean, no. if, if no. uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just don't, that was, I think, what got me. If, if this is considered rude, uh, you, then you need to not call the show when I'm hosting because you're going to get more of the same. So maybe choose another host and, and go down that route because I don't believe that I was rude to this person, I think that it was a matter of them not respecting the parameters of the show, which is that you have to actually back up what you're going to get called. And, and you have to have a point. This thing yes, felt like rambling. it was just going to go on well, and on and on. It was and on going on, 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 on to on. here's how you find God and here's how God works in your life. Yeah. And that's not what the show is for. I've never heard this before. Okay, so we're moving Jesus on to of? number four. This is. Jeff in Augusta, Georgia, and you are calling to talk about the show's handling of the topic of faith. Awesome. And you're on with Hello. David and Tracy. Hey there, Jeff. Hey, David. Uh, your guest, I want to say hello to him. Uh, and it's just great to finally get to speak to you, Tracy. Can I be heard? Is, is, am I being heard? You're, you're talking oh, yeah, very, we can hear you. We can hear you. Excellent, excellent. Okay, well, great. Grady's from Augusta, Georgia, but that's, that's only my sec- that's my second hometown. My, I'm really originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Really, I definitely want to shout them shout them out. You got it. Uh, fly, Eagles, fly. What's your What's your question? <laughs> anyway. Did you find a chick track that has changed your life? And no, come on. Feathers? Anything he, about feathers? Actually, talk to us about faith. Okay, faith. Actually, actually, I did. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> oh no! I won't go down. I won't go down, go down that line. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've I've spoken to uh, Matt in the past, as well as um, Jen Peoples. Uh, They're the worst, aren't they? I'm, I'm giving five minutes to this, so go. <laughs> Make it quick. Okay, I'm sorry. That's I, all I, right. I don't, don't want to draw. Okay. Okay. Uh, a thing that Matt uh, um, um, uh, uh, constantly says on the show is there's no, um, there's no pathway to absolute certainty. Have you ever heard him say that before? Yeah, I've heard you things like heard that. I think that's like not, I think that's not an unfair characterization. 
Not at all. I agree with him. I agree with him wholeheartedly. But whenever he says that, whenever he constantly says that, he is establishing for me the absolute necessity for faith for every person on the planet. How so? Well, and, and let me ask you I this: well, what, I mean, I, do we even know that exists? Let alone the necessity of it. It's like, yes, it would be great to have. Well, let me try to all knowledge. I, I'm going to take a stab but, at recharacterizing what Jeff is saying. Jeff, okay. tell me if I am misunderstanding. But I think what you're getting at is the idea that ultimately, if there's not absolute certainty, that everything equals faith. Is well, that, is that what, is that that what we're? We, I'm saying that this. I'm saying this very succinctly, Tracy. Tracy, um. When you arrive at what you believe, or, or, or let, me, let me back up, when you arrive at something that you want to assert as being true, well, you better have reasons the, for the that. Last, the, la- the, last, the last step for everyone, not, and this is what the thing that really, really gets my, my gets me up, or it makes me uh, frustrated when I hear the program, mm. is it seems to be, Matt has often characterized it as if you have. Christians on one side that are having faith, and you have all these other people that are that don't have faith that are relying on something else that is not faith. But the bottom line is we're all in the same boat. When we arrive at a conclusion that we say that we say, okay, I think that this is true, reasonably true, that last step for everyone, for the believer as well as the unbeliever, is faith. Period. Let's let's take a step back from that. Can't escape it. Let's take okay. a step back from that. Maybe they say this is true unless this is provisionally true unless new evidence comes up. Because I don't know what anyone says. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I would like to just I would I just need to make it one thing clear. Yeah. Usually on the program when we're talking about Christian faith, and, and because I I want to make it super clear that there's a bait and switch that happens, and I'm not accusing you of this, um, Jeff. I want to make that clear. I'm not accusing you of this. But what I am going to say okay. is there are times on the show where there will be a bait and switch where everybody's agreeing that what we believe needs to align to the evidence, and then we're talking about the evidence, and then when the evidence starts to not support what the theist believes, they say, well, I just have to have faith. So they are using the word in a unique way Mm. that Matt is not normally going to be using it. So Matt would say that kind of what Matt, my understanding of Matt, and this is me, you know, speaking for him, but I think I do understand his position on this. WWMD. We all have believed you're describing. You're basically saying that we are working off of beliefs. Everybody works off of beliefs um, because there is not certainty. The problem comes in when you have a group of people who then say even beliefs that are not based on evidence or beliefs that are that are contradictory even to evidence are equal beliefs to those which align with evidence. And that's the distinction Matt is drawing. He's trying to actually respond to a Christian definition of faith, which often is plugged in when the evidence is not supportive of the belief. Right. Does that make sense? Or, I mean, does that help you understand what he's talking about? Oh, I I think I do because I, you know, I, I'm not like new to the program and I've right. for several years now, I've been listening to you guys. Um, and again, I'm so happy to talk to you, Tracy. I, I, you know, I wish I really wish I'm not to waste time, but I wish I could really, really talk to you in depth, but, I, but I'm going to go further and just say this. Uh, uh, faith is in 
a person. Um, right. You, you talk about you talk about evidence. Ultimately, the Christian has faith in the person that they believe exists that you guys don't believe exists. Well, here's the thing, though. My faith. It's is not both, just my, Christians, my faith, Jeff. My faith is. Uh, I'll say again, Dave. Well, it, it's not just Christians. Anybody who has any beliefs has faith in that belief. The question is, do they have good reasons for this? To have faith in that, do they do they have good reasons to back that up, or what's the difference right. between blind? I mean, faith? there there are there are multiple definitions of the yeah. word faith, and one of them is synonymous with belief. And yes, if, from a from a purely how do people use the word sometimes standpoint, faith belief are interchangeable. But then there is a unique way that faith is used by religious people that is basically them acknowledging, yes, the evidence doesn't really support this, but I have this feeling, and so yeah. I have this and, faith. And not only that, Tracy, but Tracy, this is not, that's Tracy, not unique Tracy, to Christians, hold on, hold on, Dave, Dave. But, but even if there were Dave, no religions Dave. in the world except Christianity, you'd still have Christians who are full of faith, who disagree tooth and nail to the point they will kill each other over which is the one true Christian faith. And how do we know is which is the real Christian this faith? Is ridiculous. All right, you get the this final word so, here. You get the final word, Jeff. Go for hey. it. Oh wow, Tracy. I, I was I was just gonna say that 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 definition of faith that I hear repeated over and over again that faith is believing without evidence is just ridiculous to me. No, I don't think it's without evidence. I think it's, I think it's, and and again, this is not, I'm not talking about how atheists define it. I'm saying that when I have conversations with theists, they actually Mm -hmm. will say, yes, I agree that beliefs need to align with the, with the evidence. But as the evidence starts to depart from what they believe, they will literally say, that's why I just have to have faith because, you know, you can't, you know, and they'll discount, there are, there are theists who discount the evidence, who will ignore the evidence. We had one just on who said, I don't accept evolution. Yeah. I mean, you, you, when you have to just basically say. When I called, when I called and spoke to Matthew, uh, my evidence for my faith in God was love, and I was laughed off the. Off, I was actually well, actually hung up on that eventually, but. Well, here's the thing: we believe in love. The, I, I have empirical <laughs> evidence for love. Absolutely, that's Absolutely. what I'm saying. But here's that's the thing: I'll try to tell that. All right. But here's but the thing: when you say in- "here is my faith," you're not the only one saying that. Okay. And it's I, like. You know, know, what's special about I that. that? I promised Jeff the last word, so go, Jeff. Go, go you, Jeff. You, give me your give me your best line. I guess my best line, I, there's a lot of things I can tell you, Tracy. I, one thing I want to tell you is um, spirit with regard to spirit. I hear you often saying, what is the spirit? You have no idea what that is. Right. Um, uh, the spirit is consciousness. Is it? That's what it is. I call, well, and consciousness is the, what I call consciousness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's okay, like we have fine. a perfectly and good I'll, word I'll that give, already I'll suits give you, that. I'll give, you, I'll give you some more insight. And this is from this is insight, insight from the Bible, which is rejected as a as a as a pathway to truth. By no, it's many. not rejected. No, no, it's no. weighed and found wanting. I'll let you make your point, but <laughs> no, you don't get to preach as your final word. Yeah. What's your What's your point on on faith, real quick? Okay, I just want to tell us something that Mormons and Muslims couldn't tell us too, because at the end of the day. If when if you got nineteen different people giving us nineteen different faiths that all say different things, where how are right. we supposed to decide which is the good faith and which is the blind faith that leads to destruction? Uh, the point that I'm trying to get to Tracy, so I can just get off the air right I now. Um, Let him go. According to what the according to what the Bible says, um, your spirit is that part of you that knows your thoughts. Where does it say that in the Bible? 
it's in Corinthians. That that that's just an insight that I'll let you. I'll I'll leave that with you, Tracy. And I'm going to call you again okay. because I really I really like I really really like to talk to you and really engage you guys further on. This is not probably the, the show that. for a deep conversation. That would be talk heathen. Um, I would actually recommend that you call the show that airs earlier on Sunday. And there's Eric and Jamie, and they spend more time with callers. That's actually what the show was uh, set up to handle. But, but what about you? What about you? I mean, I don't host that show. <laughs> I host this I know, show. I feel like, I feel like this, this whole conversation no, see, took a I, very different I, track. I am really, I, I, you know, I, I don't usually get into this too much uh, on the program, but I do want to say that, you know, my goal here is not to make personal connections with callers. So please, do, that, okay. it's a little bit creepy to be, um, Straightforward. Oh wow! Okay. So, uh, I, well, yeah, <laughs> okay. I, I don't, I don't, I definitely don't want, I don't want to come off creepy at all. all right. I mean, you know, I think I, uh, I, I, I offended Jen when I talked to her because I was reaching out to her in the same spirit yeah. that's really in me, which is yeah, I'm, I'm not here for else, for making know. deep friendships or anything like that. This is just about answering calls. Think of me as an operator for the atheist community of Austin. That I'm here to answer questions and giving out information and um, that's information really gladly given, yeah. but safety dictates we must keep conversations <laughs> right. to a minimum. But I do thank you for your call right. today. Thanks, Jeff. Okay. Thank you, bye -bye. David. Thank you, David, and thank you, um, uh, um, Tracy. Okay. For thank you. All right, and that. Let me make sure I'm <laughs> right call here. Gotta hit those right okay, so then I want to go to Ginger in Kentucky. Hi, Ginger. You're on with David and Tracy. Hey, Ginger. Hi, Tracy. Hi, David. Hey. How are you? Good. good. How are you? I'm doing good. I know you don't have very much time left, so I will try to keep it brief. I, I think it's kind of kismet that I will call on the same day as the guy that doesn't believe in evolution and really <laughs> believes in feathers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have kind of the opposite story from him, and I, I hoped it was okay if I just shared it. Um, I, I grew up in a very, very religious household to the point where uh, I was told that if you even thought, you know, a, a doubt that God knew it, and, and you, you were know, busted. you were in trouble. Yeah. Exactly. Did you ever blaspheme against and, the Holy Spirit? I mean, can you even have the gall to do so, to think, you know? <laughs> And because, um, you know, Jesus can forgive it, it, that, but the Holy Spirit will not forgive that. He's just kind of a pissy oh, bitch know. that way. I know. Right. And, you know, even though I did not uh, proceed through my life as uh, as devout a Christian as the uh, as my family, I did hold those things, that indoctrination inside. And I, I remembered mm. those things. So when people would say things, it would scare me. I would like step away. Lightning bolt. Yeah. You know, and um, I got married and, and uh, my husband uh, confessed to me that he was an atheist. And at first I was like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You la, know, la, la, la. Again. <laughs> and, um, you know, but I'm not a closed minded person. So finally I came back. I was like, tell me more. And he introduced me to the atheist experience and he introduced me to what he thought so that started me doing research, and um, I'll just pause in the middle and tell you. Well, I tell you, once you start doing that. research, this story takes a violent turn from Christianity. <laughs> but go ahead. Doesn't it though? Doesn't it though? Doesn't it though? Yeah, I can't tell I you how many I can't tell you how many Christian preachers I know who say they studied their way out of Christianity. <laughs> exactly, but you know what really did it for me, and and I I don't mean to to sound awful, but I do have a history of 
drug and alcohol abuse. Mm. That's not and, awful. <laughs> um, it was when I was a Christian. I was a full-fledged Christian and completely, you know, right. immersed in this abuse. And it wasn't until I was reading and researching, and I'm telling you, binge-watching Atheist Experience and, you know, a lot of Matt's uh, debates and... and uh, I just love you, Tracy. You're awesome. And David, you're, you're awesome, too. Um, this is I, our favorite caller so far of the whole day. <laughs> I, I kind of came to this conclusion that Christianity was a replacement drug. Mm-hmm. I was going through uh, a rehab facility that was supposed to be secular. I mean, it wasn't based on any sort of, you know, uh, religious basis. But um, I would hear story after story. God got me off a drug. God got me off a drug. God got me to stop drinking. God, you know, Jesus saved me. Did he send you a feather when he did that? (laughs) And now God is all I think about all the time, constantly. I know, right? So, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, then why is this the fourth time you've been in rehab? Uh, And, And it wasn't until I started realizing that, no, God was going to save me, and no, Jesus was going to come down in some ball of light and no angel is going to appear at the foot of my bed and tell me that these drugs and alcohol were bad and that I needed to save myself. And you know what? I became it's like Harry me. Potter when he we, threw that Patronus and he's like, it was me all along. It, was it you wasn't all my along. dad. And right? I just want to give you a huge shout out, Ginger, because that is huge. And somebody who knows that and nothing else knows more than anybody who knows everything else and doesn't know that. The fact that you had a horrible problem, it was ruining your life, and who saved you? You saved you. Right. And I, I cannot I give you a shout out enough for that and right. just applaud you for that. Thank you. I, I'm going to get teary. Thank you very, oh. very much. I very much appreciate that. And I just also want to say that atheism also helped me through the death of my mother. It was okay that I was not going to see her anymore. I, I let that go. It's okay. It was not one of these things where people, you know, I hear people call and they talk and they say, I just can't bear the thought of not seeing my loved ones again. Well, you know what? My mom's out of pain. Yeah. And, you know, I'm fine with it. It, Atheism has helped me come to grips with so many things in my life that that has saved me. Yeah. If I needed saving. I think it's very empowering. What you're describing is very empowering. That idea that, you know what, I have to do this or it's not going to get done. And what's ironic is that you have these theistic sayings, like these little colloquial sayings that are so geared toward atheism, like God helps those who help themselves. And it's like, wow, that's yeah, so, that's, yeah. that's kind of like saying you need better help yourself because you're not going to get help from God. Well, I think it's an atheist miracle and I have faith in you, Ginger. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. And it's you like know, Atheist far, Christmas. It's like Atheist Christmas here. <laughs> Thank you, Ginger. I just want to give a big shout out to the Atheist Experience because you guys were kind of the first program that I started binge watching. And I learned so much about how to defend myself Aww. because I, I still have a lot of religious family members that are really just on me all the time. And now I, I know what to say back. <laughs> and, you know, that just helps so much. You don't know. And when people call you and they ask you, why do you do this show if there's something you don't believe in? What, you know, why do you... Why do you <laughs> oh, do I believe this? in a lot of things. I'm going to tell you why. It's for people like me. Yeah. All right. It's for yeah. people who, who want to know more. 
Well, thank you and for calling, Ginger. Won. I appreciate you sharing your affirmation. That was wonderful. It oh. was. I hope. I think that probably I helped a lot of people. And if I can give a shout out to I Recovering really, really like from Religion Foundation, mm -hmm. um, there's yeah. there's a hotline just for people like us, who, you or people like you who are atheists and still need to talk about the damage that religion did to them. Um, Recovering from Religion Foundation. I, I just can't praise those guys enough. Um, they definitely need to call that because in my first recovery center actually kicked me out after saying I was an atheist. And wow. we actually have the link to recovering from religion. How about I just that? Checked. Another atheist miracle uh, right our, here. In our resources uh, on the open show thread. <laughs> so just FYI to folks, if you feel like you're in need of that kind of help, um, you can reach out to them. Yeah, please call. But I know you guys are running short on time. I thank you so, so much for letting me speak. All right, well, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. We love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. All right. That was the best. That was the best. <laughs> that made all that feather talk work. It. <laughs> and this is kind of, I oh. think we're getting to the, almost, we've almost been through, um, we were in, this is going to be all the callers. This this next one will wrap the callers that were here when we sat down, like all, gotcha. all the pre-show callers. So this oh, is nice. the last one of They've those that, that is still on the line. We very lost patient. one um, that hung up on his own. But gotcha. right now we've got Daniel, who is in Holland. And Daniel, you're on with Tracy and David. Daniel in Holland. Hello. Yeah, just, just one quick correction. Um, I'm actually from Denmark. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, oh, damn. Oh. I was going to throw some Dutch at okay, you. Okay, it says you're in, <laughs> you're in Holland, but you're from Denmark, uh, is what it oh, says. Oh. I'm so okay, glad I didn't just I'm speak Dutch at you. So. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, well, I'd just like to talk about... Um, about how the confirmation of uh, Christians works in Denmark. Um, mm. And pardon me for my language, um, it's not my native tongue. It's better than my Danish. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's a, yeah, <laughs> probably. Oh, well, um, so what happens in the Danish school system, um, which I'll come back to, um, is that once you reach around seventh or eighth grade, which will typically be around the age of 13, um you will have a the confirmation works by that throughout the entire school year once a week you will take the entire class to a nearby church wow. um and you'll have a priest um <laughs> basically just uh, teach you about christianity okay. and wow. then at the end of the year you'll get to the actual uh confirmation and uh, you'll you'll get confirmed, and it's a huge event. That's a really big deal culturally in Denmark. Um, is this so is this a state church? Is this Catholic church? Is this the the one true um, faith church? It is. It is. A, it is a state church actually, ah. um, and it is the, a Protestant church. Gotcha. Um, so that's the primary religion in Denmark, as far as I can tell. Um, so my. My experience with this was very positive. Um, I'm an atheist myself, I'd like to add. Um, but back then when I was 13 and I hadn't developed a sense of critical thinking yet, um, I actually enjoyed this a lot because, you know, our priest was very nice and we always got free buns and chocolate and <laughs> that's whatever. That's how they get you. Free <laughs> yeah, buns. That's how they get you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we were just told all of these biblical stories. And back then I swallowed them instantaneously without even thinking about yeah. them and i i'm just amazed at how when i look back at it i find it to be so gross the way that it's done because at at no point yeah. point was i um i was never really made aware that there were options out of it or 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you could you could put it that way. And Denmark isn't that re- that no. religious. Of a no, Scandinavia yeah. as a whole is yeah. doing awesome compared to us. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. But we, we we have some unfortunate things. And what I'd like to talk about is how the public views this confirmation. Mm. And um, it it's viewed as I, I think it's viewed more as a cultural thing than a religious thing. Although, gotcha. although I'm not sure many people would agree, uh, be, because people would like to make it clear that it's religious, but I, I feel like it's more of a cultural thing by now. And you get this huge party when you get confirmed and a lot of families have a, I, I usually it's, it's, it's made to celebrate the fact that, oh, now you're a young adult, like you're stepping into the next uh, part of life and you celebrate that. And, and I like that idea, but it's a rite of passage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when there's the case that someone doesn't get confirmed, like it, it, it is optional, you can choose not to get confirmed. People don't usually get this huge party, um, which I find very oh, concerning. Because, no party for you. Yeah. <laughs> the unconfirmed. Wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit nervous. Um, ah, relax. So, relax. yeah. Um, I, I just think it's very problematic because it. I think a lot of people gets confirmed for the wrong reasons mm. uh, because of this. Uh, because I've talked to several people who only did it for the presence. I remember when I did it, what? I actually believed. Ah, yeah. It's a whole different uh, thing when you really believe it and when you're just going along with it, for sure, isn't it? And don't yeah, and don't exactly. you feel don't you feel like a chump afterwards? It feels so obvious when you lose your religion. It's like, ha! Ah, how did I ever believe that for a minute? Just at least exactly. that was for me. Might have been me. And, and 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 that brings me to my next point, which is that I find it incredibly gross in a way that you can have this yeah. that you can have this thing in school actually. Like it is <laughs> oh. made so that you go directly from a school, a class, a bus picks you up and you go to the church. I, I just find it amazing how that can be a part of school. Well, I mean, and, you know, what's rough, though, is that here in the U.S., right, we've got constitutionally a separation of church and state. In theory. And yet, <laughs> and yet, all we do is spend our time fighting to keep the religion out of schools. Yeah. And, and what's happened yeah. here is that in an effort to basically say, oh, the schools have become, you know, Satan's secular playgrounds of evolution. I wish. No, I mean, basically what they're doing now is they're defunding the school system and going for these vouchers so that people can send their children to private religious schools. But they are arming the teachers now. They're arming the teachers. So it's, 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 you know, a little... There's a plus and minus. But that's a separate issue. What I'm talking about is is the actual concerted con- effort yeah. to basically say we can't yeah. get, you know, that you've pulled God out of the schools. There's a really good book, um, The Good News Club. Kath- and uh, one Kath- of Stewart, her yeah. statements about religion in the United States, and she's talking about the highly conservative, um, very politically minded religious side of things. She basically says that these people are either going to own it or destroy it. Yeah. And that is exactly what they've done with our schools. That they've is life in the Trump era. If we're not going to yeah. own it, if you're not going to allow God in the schools, if it's not going to be a place where we can send our children to be indoctrinated, where our religious ideas are not going to be upheld and supported and promoted, then and we are going to Burn it all to the ground down. for the insurance right. money. And that's yeah. what we're watching. When you, yeah. And you know, it's, it, it's really sad because they'll talk about something called school choice and then they'll say, well, this public school is failing, so you should be able to take your tax 
tax money and go to a private school. It's like, why not fix the public school, right? right? So, long story short, Daniel, we'll all be moving to Denmark if yeah, this keeps I mean, up. Well, the thing yeah. is, it's like, <laughs> it, choose your poison, right? Choose your poison because yeah. you're going to have the religion in the school there. But I mean, I don't know what's more toxic because here we don't, you know, technically have it in the school. And yet it's, it's tearing society apart. It's destroying so much of society that the religion doesn't have the power. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so really quick, what was the name of that book? Oh, it's called The Good News Club. It's by it's, Catherine Stewart. Catherine Stewart, yeah, The Good News Club. It's actually a, a specific story about how she learned what was going on in her local school because of what and happened with her daughter. Took it on. Yeah, and yeah. so she is dealing right. with a very specific case. But she's also, you might look up, instead of the book, look up some of her talks and see if you can find some of her talks she, online. She's amazing. She's really awesome. she goes into the problem of, you know, how this works and how they have this this process basically of how to insert the religion or how to basically ruin a thing if they can yeah so all right thank, good stuff thank you very yeah. much um, i'd like talk. to ask one uh, one more quick question sure. um, uh, so i i i as i mentioned i find it very problematic that um well first of all that this is a part of school but also that you do this to people so young that they still haven't yeah. uh, developed their critical senses yet um and when, when I've talked, like, I literally find it to be a little gross. And it... Stay with it, that. I, I Stay with be, that feeling. Yeah. yeah. But but my problem is that when I talk to people about it... Mm. Um, they don't see the harm in it? They they don't see the harm in it. Yeah. And, and I can see where they're coming from, but I just don't get how they can discard it so easily. And I'm really tired of bringing up the conversation and constantly being let down <laughs> by Ugh. basically getting to know... Oh, it, it's just tradition. No, and, you know, and the thing is, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that using, for example, community leaders like teachers and schools in order to promote this gives it more authority. But at the same time, so weirdly, church, like uh, countries that have state churches are often far more secular than the United States which yeah. does not that, have a that state is, church. It's and, so weird. I really appreciate that. Douglas Adams said this. He says... In England, we don't have church and state, and no one takes either one of them seriously. <laughs> it's kind of like that. I don't know. Anyway, I really I, appreciate your call. Daniel, it's really thanks great so much. to get a window into another country. Thank you very much. Till some Thank talk. you. All right. So Good. that's. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> okay. So with that, I do want to plug one more time the GoAXP, G-O-A-X-P dot org, which is the fundraiser for, you know, um, getting up the, the funds to send the Atheist Experience and Talk Heathens to uh, American Atheists. Coming up, Coming up in Oklahoma City in a and couple weeks. And you're down to the wire. It's the we last are. thousand. That's and really awesome. everybody has been so great. And just, again, thank you so much for, for all the donations and for spreading the word. Whatever anybody can do, we totally appreciate it. Um, and also want to say one last time about uh, dinner at Star of India. Everybody's welcome to come out, and David will and be there. Tracy will yes. be there. Okay, <laughs> and so our guests can come to dinner, and we're going to have him there. Uh, and I think that's it for announcements. I want to thank the crew. I want to thank the audience. Y'all, awesome. <laughs> they're whooping it up out there. There's thousands them out there. Mob. There's thousands up there. <laughs> That's what it'll say in our gospel. <laughs> and they cheered, and there were thousands. The multitudes. Yeah. And then we took them to Star of India and fed them with a single <laughs> With a single papadom. <laughs> they were all were fed. All right. I think that's it. Thanks, everyone. 
Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Moon. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.